friends, welcome to The Index, a sacred love podcast. I'm your host, Dr. A. This is a platform for our community to share our stories of healing and resiliency. We're going to talk a lot about purpose and personal accountability here. So thank you so much for joining us today. Friends, welcome back to The Index, a sacred love podcast. Today, joining us is my dear friend. She feels more like a sister and maybe even a mother, but she's not old enough to be my mother, y'all. Shireen Philip Garcia, let's just take a minute to welcome Shireen to our community. Shireen, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Shireen, I have told everyone about you. So everybody is waiting to hear about those healing hands that you have. I've been talking about how you are holding hands with me to heal. (laughs) So you've got to share some of that stuff with the people. I'm just really excited to have you here. I'm excited to talk to you about healing and your own journey. Well, I'm excited to be here, like I said before, and... um... All right, y'all. So let's get right into it. So, Shireen, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your values, you know, like who you are, you know, and all that cool stuff. Okay. Um, well, Amanda did a great job in introducing who I am. I, um, by my innate um, existence, I'm definitely an individual who is caring, loving. Um, I can definitely say that I'm a spiritual being, very in tune with energy, um, the energy around me. I I listen to what people say, what they do not say even more. Um, And as we talk a little bit about healing and finding your own journey and finding yourself, um, which we will get into a little bit later, um, I think ever since I was little, I've always been searching for who I was. And I always tell my daughter and my kids this, and I've heard a lot of times when I was growing up is um, uh, be yourself, right? Be yourself. And I, and I think ever since I was little, I've always um, tried to not be myself, right? Or not to find myself but to define myself. And I've had a lifelong journey in doing that ever since I was little. And I didn't know what I was doing, except for the fact that I always knew in my mind who I wanted to be and strive every day, every day to be that. So as I, you know, graduated from high school and went into psychology for my undergrad and then went into social work for my master's and I am currently completing my doctoral degree in social welfare, it all aligned to my innate existence and my innate being and my lifelong journey and goal in defining who I am. And I always kept individuals like you, Dr. A, around who have had that same um, type of goal and energy and um, a positive attitude towards everything. So in a nutshell, I gave you what um, I have been. 
what I um, aspire and strive to be, and I will continue to aspire and strive to do. Sharon, thank you so much for sharing that. So he here's the thing. You shared so much just now, but I don't think our viewers even understand the depth of who you are. Y'all, I might be a little biased, clearly, because you read my post earlier, right? So you might be thinking, am I so full of herself right now because she's just like, Shireen, Shireen. As you should be, as you should be. You work for that, so you take it, okay? But seriously, but seriously, right? I want to talk a little bit about my relationship with you so people can understand why I'm fanning over you. I want them to understand the depth of our relationship. So I met Shireen when I was, I was about 15 years old, right? Shireen and my sister were best friends. They were, they were college best friends. And y'all came home for summer one year. Let me tell you something. I didn't like this girl. <laughs> I feel like I need to lead with that. I didn't like this girl, y'all. I'll tell you why. Shireen didn't have a problem checking you, but she did it with love. You knew that she cared and she wanted you to do things better, but you're not necessarily trying to do better, right? You know, you're kind of in your toxicity and you're having a good time. And here she comes with a reason and she wants you to think about the future. And you're like, it's not that serious, you know, <laughs> but it is, right? <laughs> And so we go off to college and we're at like the same institution as my sister and Shireen. And I have my own friends and we're freshmen. So we're doing the things, you know, freshmen will do. And we're really, we're not really thinking about like consequences. And here comes Shireen. And she must have been like the most hated person, you know, <laughs> to my friends and I. We just, we did not like this girl. But everything that you shared with us, you know, the tough conversations we would, you know, have that I really didn't like, you know, I didn't like the things that you were saying. I ended up holding on to those as I got older and was maturing and I would remember those words. And, you know, um, I remember it, like the things you would tell us to look out for with relationships and peers and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, okay, this is the useful stuff, I guess. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you found use for it. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> you know, just continuing my own journey. The, the, the funny thing is, I feel like you always show up when I need you. Right. 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 We could, we could not talk for years. My world is in chaos. And somehow you show up as a fairy godmother. And then you're like, let me whip this thing together for you. And then there's magic. <laughs> well, not, it wasn't quite like that. It wasn't quite like that. And I had no idea that I was showing up at a very um, important part or important time in your life. So it really wasn't quite like that, you know. Um, but... You know, when the divine has a plan, things always work out in according to what that plan is. So, yeah. 
um, being obedient was my number one thing as well. And listening, right? Right. Um, listening to what my internal instinct and that that spiritual conviction is laying on my heart and just really listening and and being there for an individual, right? Not not because of a personal agenda right. or personal gain. But you know, you called me, Amanda, for a business venture, right? You remember? Yeah. And and you started to talk and you started to tell me you know, what you're planning to do, where you are in your life. And I just listened. I just listened. And um, I'm not, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to go, I'm, I'm only going to go as deep as you want me to go as deep. And uh, you're going to lead that. You're going to lead that and I'll just follow. But again, it, it's just, it's nothing happens by chance. And, and um, when we take ourselves out of our own selfish arena, and truly be there for someone, you can actually listen to what that person needs with or without them saying it. And that's what happened. That is what happened. And you were a lifesaver for me, right? You literally were. And yeah, she is downplaying her support for me. <laughs> but that's just how she is. Like, oh no, it's not me, it's God. Yeah, but oh, yes. that's just yes, absolutely. That's just how she is. But she's one of the persons that held my hand during my darkness. I don't know, she must have had like a flashlight or something. <laughs> but anyways, enough of that. We want to talk about you and how you got to this place of wisdom. And I know you're still growing and I know there's more to come, but tell us about your story and how you got to this place. Um, well, you know, um, I was planted, I was rooted in a lot of very strict um, values, right? And very, it was, it was, it was a, it was a combination of um, spirituality with um, very rigid structure in my environment, okay? So my dad had a third grade education, but went to vocational school and picked up a trade, okay? And being a um, um, African Caribbean individual, and my dad was a Caribbean individual as well. And my mom, they both were from Antigua, West Indies. And I was born in St. Croix, West Virgin Islands. I, I grew up in a very, very strict um, enmeshed family. And um, my dad was a an authoritarian. He was very uh, strict with his discipline practices. Um, and I was the, I shared the middle of eight kids. So my dad and my mom, they were married. They're still married today. So I lived in a two-parent back um, um, home. And, but I was always outspoken. I was, I was, many of my siblings, they were very, um, uh, they followed the rules in the house. They, 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 it, it didn't matter what um, the rules were, right? 
So they fought, they got in line and they followed the rules, not just in the household, but at school. And they did exactly every single thing that they were asked to do. And even if they had gripe or were upset about it, they still listened and did exactly what they were told. Um, I was a little bit different. I was a little bit different. Um, I, 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 I adhere to rules that I, that I felt even at five and seven and 10 years old that I felt made sense and to me, right? And the rules that did not make sense to me, I tried to advocate to my mom because of course that was a better way to go, right? You know, mom is a little bit um, easier to approach and she was less of a disciplinarian. I mean, she was very stern with her words, but very encouraging and very soft and very nurturing. My dad was very strict and uh, he was physically, his discipline practice was definitely not just verbal, but it was physical as well. And that did not deter me from um, making my own rules that will benefit me, right? And um, that didn't go well <laughs> with my dad. So growing up, <laughs> so, so I, I had a little bit of re rebellious side ever since I was little, okay? But it was always for, <laughs> but it was always for, a, for me, it was always justified for the greater good. And I didn't know what that was when I was seven. I did not know what that was when I was 10, but I can guarantee you if my dad was all my siblings for something that I think that he should not be, and it was very, or his discipline practices was not appropriate. It didn't match the crime. I would speak up. Now, you know, Amanda, you know, back home, when you do things like that and you speak up against your parents, you know what you get, right? But give it to me. I was the one that would say, okay, no, I'm going to take whatever is coming from my sibling because that's just how I was because I'm just not going to sit here and be quiet about it. Like, so I got into a lot of trouble with my dad, needless to say. And that went on for like years on end, all into my pre-adolescence, all into my adolescence. We just could not get along. And I think that that struggle that I went through was very difficult for a child right mm -hmm. and even though I was going through it and even though my dad was I was I was literally 4'11 and my dad was like 6'2 I felt in my heart that I was taller than my dad and what I had to say and what I had to prove was bigger than he was and I lived my life every single day like that I was going to mention that but I wasn't sure if I should comment on your height like that, like publicly. But you know, I wouldn't know what I would. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, she's like 4'11", and she's still <laughs> the tallest person in the room. No, I am 5'3". I'm 5 feet and 3 quarters of an inch male. So <laughs> I Nobody believes, you, believes that but you. <laughs> But no one can tell me, like, no one can tell me, no matter what challenges I faced, even when I was little, that I couldn't overcome those challenges, right? And so, so much so that when I was in the 12th grade, 
And I overheard my dad talking to one of his friends on the, at the corner store. I was in the car and he was like, you know, his friend was like, oh, um, oh, that, that's your kids? And he was like, yeah, you know, those are my kids. Yeah, those are my kids. And yeah, they, they listened to me. And he was just bragging about how, you know, how he's a man of the house and whatever he says goes. And, and I was just squirming in my seat, like, oh my God, like, really? And then he was like, he made a comment and he said, oh, you know, um, um, they all, they are, we're basically almost in steps. So all of my siblings, like we're either a year or a year and a half apart from each other. So he was talking about like how my other, my older siblings had graduated from, from, from high school already. And I was in the 12th grade and I was about to graduate. And the guy, his friend looked at him and his friend said, are you, well, is she on track to be, to graduate? And he was like, well, of course, of course she is. She wouldn't be in my house if she wasn't on track to be, to graduate. And when I heard that, I promise you, it was the second half of high school. I stopped going to English class and that was the only course I needed to graduate. I stopped going to the class. I stayed in my dance class and I danced all day long. When he said, oh yeah, she's on track to graduate. I decided right there and then, oh, I will show you that I'm not gonna graduate. <laughs> Listen, I was 16 years old, right? in the 12th grade, okay? And I was, I was very smart intellectually, of course. I definitely was on track. That was the only course I needed to graduate. And because my dad said that, and we've always had, a, you know, I'm always gonna do the opposite of what he said, just because I just feel like he's always in the wrong. So I've always had this battle for him, with him, you know, physically, verbally, just battles all the time. So I thought that I was gonna spite him by not graduating. So a couple of months later, while I'm in summer school, right? Cause I did not graduate. <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, at 16 in my rebellious state, it made sense. It makes all the sense in the world. This is how I'm, I'm gonna really get him. I'm really gonna get him this way, right? So, so, so a couple months later, I'm in summer school, right? And I'm sitting around, I'm looking around like, what the hell are you doing here? I've never been to summer school in my life, ever been to summer school in my life. And I'm sitting around in summer school with a lot of dodos. Like, I'm like looking around like, I mean, I mean, this is how I truly felt at 16, right? In my profession, I would not look at any individual who's who's in summer school and look, you know, call them dodos. But in I'm I'm telling you my story from my perspective, right? And, and how I transitioned. In my 16-year-old mind, I'm looking around at these individuals who really truly had challenges with learning or really didn't care about their future and I'm like I do not belong what am I doing here right what am I doing here now of course I broke my mom's heart in the whole entire process of because you know like my mom was so confused like what happened what happened from you know you can't be all 
Right, right. But I never told I never told my mom and I never told my dad. It was just like, mm-hmm, I showed you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, a couple months later, who showed who? Really? And that that um experience of I, I had an awakening. I think that was my very first epiphany, my very first transition, right? Um, beginning to heal, really. And I can really coin that as my very first healing moment of my life because going through so many years of intense struggle with my dad took a a toll that I didn't even understood at that time on my emotional, my mental, my spiritual, all the old you can think about states, right? (laughs) And I didn't, I didn't realize it. I didn't realize it. You know, it was just that, um, I took everything negative that, that, that was said to me. And I, at that moment in my life, I made a decision and I said, okay, Shireen, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Okay. So you can finish, um, this half of English class and complete your high school diploma, but where, where do you want to go from here? And it took like, I, I promise you, it took like seconds for me to say, I'm going to college. I am going to college. I don't know how. No one in my family have ever gone to college. We don't have any money because, hey, you know, my dad was a construction worker. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Where is the money going to come from? With eight kids, I'm the middle child. So I'm, I share the middle. So where is the money going to come from? Now, mind you, this is July. July, and I say I'm going to go to college for August. Okay. I spoke to, at the time, I spoke to a gentleman called Cipriani Philip. I can never forget Cipriani. And I spoke to him and I said, hey, you know, a couple months back, you were talking to some students about college. Do you think that I can go to college at this point? And he said, yes. He had a son that worked at Florida Memorial. The, the historically black college and university. Of course, you know that college, Amanda. Um, oh, oh, hello. You two, you two attended um, FloMo, right? And <laughs> and um, he introduced me to um, Brian Phillip, who was the financial aid director at that time. And they walked me through the process. In a matter of two weeks, I got my mom to sign all the paperwork. I got my mom to do a parent loan, of course. To do the fa- they helped me with the FAFSA. And I came home and I said, I'm going to college. Now, at that time, I didn't know what that entailed, didn't know, you know, you know, what finances were needed. I just knew I was going there. And I went. Before I go though, before I went, I took with me my older sister. I said, Hey, look, I'm going to college. Would you like to come? And she was like, sure. How are we going to do this? I said, don't worry about it. I got this. I knew nothing about the process, but literally I believed. And with every single step, my God, because this is where I become very possessive. My God sent every individual, every living um, angel to guide me through that process. Um, I went to Florida Memorial. I got my bachelor's degree. I um, immediately uh, 
when I graduated, a month from my graduation, I got my first professional job um, in outcomes measurement and evaluation, even though I did my degree in psychology. I, at, a couple months after that, I reconnected with my absolutely um, individual who is dear to my heart, right? My high school sweetheart, who, who was very instrumental in helping me through a lot of the challenges that I experienced with my, yeah. He was very, um, at 15, we, we, I met him, junior, junior. He was very mature for his little 15-year-old self. And he always gave me words of encouragement and just let me talk and just listen. He was a great listener. And um, he left and went and did his thing in the military. I went to college. But we reconnected when I graduated my bachelor's. And I wasn't married when I you know, had my first child. Um, but I had my first child with my only love. And that was my high school sweetheart. And I did. Um, I continued working for a while. I, you know, I enjoyed life. I, your best friend Melissa. We lived together for a while. It was just me, Melissa, and Justice, my daughter, for a while. And um, and then I started to. Uh, I decided I want to go back to school when my daughter was two to get my master's degree, and help individuals. Um, uh, so I did my master's in social work. Um, and at the time, once I decided to go back to school to do my master's in social work, I actually changed my career from um, evaluating programs to um, becoming a social worker within a child welfare system. And that was definitely an eye opener for me. Um, it, it was the real world. I was, I was looking at the world through a a rose-colored glasses, right? Um, but when I went into the child welfare system, I really saw how cruel and how toxic um, familial uh, um, ties and dynamics could be for an individual mm -hmm. and how that can impact an individual to grow up to be... Um, uh, very disenfranchised and uh, marginalized, not not through system systemic circumstance, but they marginalize themselves. Um, it, it, it's very hard, you know. It's very heartbreaking. That was a very heartbreaking and very um, hard part of my career. It, it was very difficult because. As an individual working in the social work field, I did, I worked long hours, not because it was required of my job or my supervisor, but it was, it was what my clients and what this, the, the kids needed, okay? You work long hours regardless of your career. <laughs> that is true. That is true. That, that, you know, Amanda, you are, absolutely correct I, I do work long hours no matter the career um but i think the only career the, the most rewarding um career that i've taken and um when i look back when i reflect and i and i conduct my introspection and i look at all the hours that i've spent on all the jobs that i've had i think the most rewarding was those hours when i stayed in my op my office 
for 24 hours at a time because I couldn't find a placement for a child. That was most rewarding to me. And to me, that was most beneficial. And I would do that again today. Um, but what I realized is that um, the system was broken. It was broken. And, and, and it was not that one entity was to blame, right? It, it really wasn't. But it was, it was very taxing on me. And I decided to, to come out of the child welfare system. And I went back and I, and I went into the higher ed. I said, hey, well, this could be a lighter field to work in. And I can still help individuals and change lives. Because that's, that's my motto. That's what I strive to do. And that's what I'll continue to do until the day I die. And I say that with a smile because I'm, I'm very prideful about that. So I decided, I said, hey, look, um, I didn't really have the appropriate mindset for the helping profession when I was that young. So I went into to higher ed. I loved it. I absolutely love higher ed. I brought my social work skills to higher ed as an academic advisor. So not only I advise students on what class to take, but I was truly a, a, a life coach and an empathetic ear. And I didn't give my students the easy way out. I always motivated them. If they tell me they're gonna stop school, I said, no, you're not. <laughs> I can that too, because that's exactly how you are. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not gonna stop school. And they would tell me that the sky is falling and their roof is caving in and everything in their life is going, it's just, all wrong and and going um, upside down. And I would listen. I would let them vent. And when they're done, I asked permission. And I said, and I would always say, I know you're here to vent, but is it okay for me to speak? And then with their permission, I spoke freely. And I told them, no, you're not going to stop. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. You're not going to stop. You're not. Well, I can't do it. And they're crying. I can't. And I always tell people, when you talk to me, that is not a word that I want to hear. The word can't. That's, that's not. I believe in individuals having the power invested in them. And all they need is someone to believe in them, to activate that, right? I have people to believe in me to activate that. Right. My mom, she always believed in me and she always encouraged me. Very stern, very firm, did not take um, excuses. Always find the positive in every situation. And I thank God for that, because if I didn't have that, then I, I, I probably would have looked at my glass half empty, you know, and um, I, I vowed at a very young age to be that for individuals, especially when they are, they can't see the value that I see on the outskirts of things, right? And to, and to keep letting them know that that's what you are, that's who you are and whose you are. And I think that we often forget that when we're in the dark and we're broken. And we can, when we look in around and there's no one around, right? You can attest to this. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you're. I feel like you're talking a 
about you and I without talking about you and I. I you know? But it's honestly, honestly, it's every individual that I've ever came in contact right. with from that two month old individual to the 60 something year old dementia individual that I've worked with during my internship at a traumatic brain injury Institute. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it, it's, that's exactly it. Right. No matter the age spectrum. Right. Um, everyone wants love. Mm -hmm. And that's why I absolutely love the torch that you picked up because you you've got it you got it you found it right you found it everybody seek that from the moment they they take their first breath to the moment though that that breathing cease mm -hmm. whatever moment that is mm -hmm. whatever moment god decide that to be everybody everyone seek love and you know it's so funny you say that because it was my father's bed that taught me that Right, like all of these years I had been searching for love. And then when he was on his deathbed and realizing, oh my goodness, the only thing that matters in this moment is love. It doesn't matter what he's done, where he's been, what he accomplished, what he didn't. The only thing that matters in these moments is that he is loved, right? Absolutely. And it wasn't so much about receiving love from others for me. It was more about like, Giving love because he needed to feel loved in those moments. Um, there's like a moment that stands out to me, and it's when I placed him in a nursing home, right? On respite care. I was just, you know, broken and I needed some time. And his nurse was like, Well, let's put him in respite care for like seven days, right? And we put him in respite care, and he was there one night. <laughs> One night, and the next day when I went to see him, he was broken and he was crying. And he said, you know, I feel like you don't want me anymore. And that's why you put me here. And I felt so bad. I felt so yeah. bad because that wasn't the case, right? I, I just needed a break because I had been caring for him for so, you know, so many months. And, um, and there was no, like, there was no time off, right? And I needed to recharge, but that's not how at the time he was no longer thinking like an adult man right he was more in like this childlike mentality and stuff and let me tell you i just packed up all of his stuff and i was like we're going home <laughs> and his, nurse, his nurse was like no you know this is normal and i was like no i was like his last days you won't have him here feeling like he's not loved I'll figure it out. And, and I took him home. And those were my moments of, I just want to be loved. And yes. I just want to give love, right? Absolutely. I think that kind of started my journey of, where is love? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that's, especially in this time, globally and nationally and regionally, I mean, we, 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 we're seeing, and, I, and Amanda, you and I have had very intimate conversation about the mental health of individuals that we know. Mm -hmm. And the mental health of the nation mm -hmm. and the mental health of our globe, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. our, our global community. We've had that intimate communication. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, very, very interesting that these times that we're in, 
it's disheartening to see to turn on your your, your TV or your social media, your 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 internet or whatever. The very first thing that you see is continued hurt mm. and pain mm-hmm. and devastation mm-hmm. and none of it makes sense. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you turn on your TV. I remember the days when Al Bundy and the likes of Al Bundy was uh, 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 almost mythical, right? It's like individuals who hurt people so deeply was so far and just so um, scarce, right? And the egregious act that family members are doing for themselves, Mm -hmm. the egregious act that mothers are doing to their kids, Mm -hmm. um, the egregious act that strangers are doing to complete strangers, you know, um, because of an idea or ideal. These are things that we sat and watch on TV, maybe in different countries at different periods in history we we read about or something like that. But now we're seeing it every single day, mass shooting, um, racially charged um, um, crimes and, 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 and just constant reiterations of hurt and devastation. And every single individual, I don't care whether they utter it or not, I don't care if they know it or not, they seek love, acceptance, and validation, mm-hmm. right? And um, oftentimes we look at, we, we, we turn to the wrong source for that. Yeah. And let me tell you, you asked me one question at the start of this conversation. You said, tell us, tell us about your journey and how did you get to a place of healing? And I and I have told you this, and I would and I would tell anyone that's listening. It ain't nothing that helped me but the word and the spirit of God. That is it. Okay. He works through. And I say he, because that's who, that's how I um, categorize him. And, and that's just my personal way of categorizing that existence, that being, that energy, right? Um, he works through individuals and, and in conducting introspection and ref- be reflecting on who do you want to be? It doesn't matter who you are or who you have been, right? Yes, your past matters, but not as much as the present and your future. You've asked me previously, how did I, how, how did I begin my healing and how do I transition to an individual who can um, navigate healing for myself and to facilitate, and I use that, I, I emphasize and underscore that, facilitate, right? Because we cannot, we cannot create healing for anyone. We can help to facilitate that, right? And that is only through one thing, one source, and that's through the word and the spirit of God. And, and the word and the spirit of God is, is, is 
you have as an individual you have to search and find that for yourself right and and like i said previously it's not about who you were in the past right it's who you are now and who you want to be so really looking at that and defining who it is that you would like to be and every day and literally write that out and every day strive towards that. Now that is how you win. That is how you win. No matter your circumstances, no matter your circumstances, you can only control. And when you realize, when you know that you control only one person and that's yourself, when you realize that and truly accept that, then you're ready to roll and defining who that person is and controlling who that person will be in the future. And I'm not talking about profession. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a peace of mind. I'm talking about liberating yourself, right? Li liberating yourself from your challenges. Yes. Liberating yourself from individuals who impose their will on you, right? Liberating yourself from circumstances that you did not create, but happened to you, right? But you, and, and, and knowing that in circumstances, you may be a victim, but you are and can transform to be a victor, right? And, and, and that's a lot of work. Those, those words are rolling off my tongue very easily, but I can tell you right now, that's a lot of work. I know, you made that sound so easy just now. <laughs> no, 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 don't get it twisted at all. Don't get it twisted at all, that's a lot of work. And it takes a lot to get from point A to point B, but let me tell you something. It start with believing that it can happen. It start with your internal. It starts with you believing, and it start with you activating the spirit. Your, you know, your spirit animal is is really about you activating the God that's inside you. Mm. Sit apart again. <laughs> it's really about you activating the God inside you. I know none of y'all unsubscribe because she said the God inside of you. <laughs> I, I can see some of our friends saying that they're out. No, 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 no. That's for you. If you feel like leaving us, you need to stay. <laughs> yes, yes. So... Um, I, I, I would definitely say that it's, it's a difficult process, but it's a, it's a necessary process because everyone is worth it. Everyone is absolutely worth it. From the moment you were created, you were here for a purpose. You just got to choose what purpose that'll be, right? And you got to define that, right? So, and, and, and individuals need help. You need help in that category, absolutely. And there's help out there. There's absolutely help out there. Amanda, did you ever think that when you were calling me about a business proposition and an idea that you had uh, professionally, that it would have completely, I would not absolutely help you in that 
aspect at all. And it would be uh, a facilitation of you finding um, yourself and defining yourself. You know, no, but it's, it's interesting because it's, it's weird, right? Because here, I always tell people that every interaction I have with someone tells me one of three things. It tells me about the past, the present, or the future, right? And I have to figure out where it fits. But when I was calling you, I was calling you for work. Yes. I was calling you for work, right? I love working with you. I think we have really good chemistry. I love bouncing ideas off of you because I can say one crazy idea and it doesn't matter how crazy it is. You never tell me how it's not going to work. You always show me how, right? And it doesn't matter what it is. I could tell you like, yo, I have this idea to paint the sky purple. And here's why it's going to work. And here's the benefits. And you would be like, yo, you know what? <laughs> and by the time you're done, I'm like, oh, this is a real thing. <laughs> this and is then, a good idea, right? Because I'm just, you know, brainstorming and um, being creative or whatever. So that's what I was calling you for. But you've also you've also served in that mentorship role, right? So it yeah. wasn't I wasn't surprised that the universe moved you into that role. At the time, I didn't realize I needed help because I don't need help. You know what I'm saying? Like a man never needs help ever, ever, because that's how I'm thinking at the time, right? Like I always have it together. I don't break. I don't break down. You know, I have it together. So I wasn't calling you for help. I didn't need help. I mean, I was breaking, but I didn't need help. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I got it. I was calling you for work because nobody have time for emotions and feelings. I don't have time for that. I have things to do, right? And then I called you and I'm sharing with you, right? And I guess you heard the woman in me that was like broken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. I listened to you that day with a different ear because you sounded very proud and very, um, hey, this is what I'm doing. You know, I have all these things going on right now and this is the direction I'm going. What do you think about it? I mean, you're, you're selling it. You're definitely selling it. And, um, but again, you know, and, and, and I think that with a lot of distractions that we have in our life right now, and I'm, so, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of it at times when I'm, um, when I'm distracted or when I'm, when I, you know, when I'm in my work, but I'm not in the moment, right? So when you're in the moment, you can actually hear things that, that are not being said. Uh -huh. Right. Someone may be smiling. They may be very, very cheery. Um, they may be very um, positive in their speaking. But if you really listen close, they're hurting. Uh -huh. Right. We often miss that because we're not really in the present. 
and, right. and, and listen. And even though you were not in front of me, you were on the phone. I can hear it. I can, I can hear the energy through, through the conversation that we were having. And, and you ain't, you, you're never, you're never like, oh my God, you know, this is what's going on with my life. No, you're like, honey, let me tell you what's going on with my life, okay? This is about the open mic. Listen, this is what's going on. This is, listen, this happened to me, but don't even worry about it. I, I was like, wait, hold up. Did yes, you just say, I remember that. Wait. So I, I was quiet. I was quiet, but yeah. I listened. I listened and I said, I, I said, okay. I made a mental note. I put it in the back and I said, let me keep listening. And I kept listening. Boom, then you drop another, another bomb. But you were like, yeah, girl, you know. So this happened to me. And that death was like, you know, girl, and, and you know, yes. you know that that person died, right? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm good. And blah, blah. I was like, wait a minute, we've something is not right about this. Like she's talking like she's all good, all gravy, but I, but I recognize that, right? Because I was there too. I know, I know what that looked like, right? And I recognize it. And once I saw that, I, 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 every bomb that you drop in, in between all that fluff talk and that smooth, you know, that smooth, smooth sales 30 second pitch you gave me, I, I I put the bombs to the side, right? And I listened, and I and I met you where you were, you know. And that was that was very important because I remember individuals doing that for me, you know, meeting me where I was, being non-judgmental, um, just listening, mm -hmm. right? And that's what I did. I just listened, but I made a mental note of all the bombs you dropped, okay? And